Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always is a man who is a dear, dear friend of the famous poet J.B. Jovi. He is the captain. J.B. Jovi don't know me. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very happy to be featuring Coffee Red by the good folks at Sibling Revelry Brewing. This is a red ale conditioned with freshly roasted whole bean coffee. Garage grade four out of five bottle caps. And we are drinking coffee beer thanks to these great folks right here. First up, cheers to longtime friend of the show, Rachel, at Maximum Velocity in beautiful Westlake, Ohio. And a big cheers to Sonia in Dallas, Texas. And a big cheers to Miles and his son, Nehemiah. And a big we like your jib to Pamela in Clark Griswold, Iowa. And way out on the West Coast, we have Robert in Granite Bay, California. And big long-distance cheers to Lucy and Walker in Oslo, Norway. And last but not least, we have Kaylee and Lindsay in Dallas, Texas. Thanks to everybody for loading up the truck with beer this week. Mm-hmm. If you want to help us out for next week, go to truecrimegarage.com. Also, if you want more Garage, check us out on the Stitcher app. That's for old episodes. For our other show off the record, you want to check out Stitcher Premium. And we drink a lot of beer on off the record. Because that's how we do it. Because that's how it gets done, son. That's right. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. May 14th, 
2015. At 1.24 p.m., the Washington, D.C. Fire Department received a call that a large home in the city's most exclusive neighborhood was on fire. Neighbors saw smoke and flames coming from the home's second story and called authorities. The fire department quickly descended on the home. A firefighter kicked in the front door and the firefighters entered the downstairs. The house reeked of gasoline. Firefighters searched for occupants on the ground level, but saw no one. Then, firefighters braved the upstairs, which seemed to be the epicenter of the conflagration, and saw one bedroom and a bathroom area were completely engulfed in roaring flames. The temperature made the room impenetrable. In an adjacent bedroom, firefighters crawled blindly along, trying to avoid the smoke, dodging slate tiles from the roof falling through the ceiling on top of them. One firefighter bumped against a chair, lying tipped on its back. He tried to move it out of the way, but to his horror, with his hands, he felt a body in the chair. The firefighter dragged the body into the hallway and saw what he called a bloodbath. Then, they found another body, then a third, lying on the floor. One of the victims still had a heartbeat, and the firefighters extracted her and rushed her to an ambulance. Despite life-saving efforts by doctors at Georgetown University Hospital, sadly, she soon died. When firefighters managed to extinguish the incredibly hot flashover fire, in the adjacent bedroom, which was burned down to the beams, new horrific sights awaited them. A firefighter entered the blackened, still-smoking room. He couldn't see very well, and he started to fall on the buckled floor. He grabbed onto what was left of the bed, which was so badly burned that it was bare down to the charred springs and frame and had melted into the floor. The floor had partially collapsed into the room below. The firefighter accidentally grabbed a body on the bed, a child's body, which had no discernible features or arms or legs. An adjacent bathroom was also burnt to a crisp. Clearly, the fire started in this bedroom, and it did not appear to be an accident. Several people were dead, and someone burnt this house down. After the fire, police arrived on the scene, observing the removal of several bodies by paramedics. Law enforcement quickly observed victims that appeared to have suffered extensive trauma to their bodies. The fire did not kill these people. Who was responsible for the unimaginable horrors that took place inside this home. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the case of the DC Mansion Murders. 
Before we get into this case, we need an understanding of the Savopoulos family. Sava Savopoulos was 46 years old. He was born in a suburb of D.C. His father, Philip, and a partner started up a very successful company, American Iron Works. Sava went to Springbrook High School in Silver Spring, Maryland. This is where he started dating Amy Martin, who would later become his wife. Amy says she was an army brat, born in Massachusetts. She spent her childhood moving around Europe and the U.S. Sava and Amy both went on to the University of Maryland. Sava was good-looking, popular, and outgoing. Amy was blonde, pretty, and more reserved than Sava. Yeah, they're going to get married in 1994 after he graduates from law school. Instead of practicing law, Sava went on to the family business, headquartered in nearby Hyattsville. His father, Philip, eventually stepped down and Sava took over the company. American Ironworks thrived under his direction. The company was involved in building the National Stadium. Yeah, that's Washington's baseball stadium. They also revitalized the D.C. Center and were involved in rebuilding the Pentagon after 9-11. That's a big contract right there. Sava also headed up a hedge fund, Sigma Investment Strategies, located in Puerto Rico, where he often traveled. Sava and Amy were doing very well. In 2001, they purchased a $3.5 million 8,000-square-foot mansion on Woodlawn Drive in D.C.'s Woodley Park neighborhood. This is a very exclusive residential neighborhood. The average home cost about $4 million. The neighborhood is considered extremely safe. Sava was a good businessman with a strong work ethic. By most accounts, he was a wonderful boss, a gentle soul, and a good friend. He had an open-door policy for his employees and often wore jeans to work. Amy was a stay-at-home mom to the couple's three kids. Sisters Abigail and Katerina were followed seven years later by a baby boy named Philip after Sava's father. All three kids were educated at D.C.'s most exclusive private schools. And they were both involved in the Greek Orthodox Church. They did a lot of charity work. They hosted fundraising galas and donated generously. Yeah. Everyone describes both Sava and Amy, who was age 47 at this time, as lovely people, a golden couple, devoted to each other and their family. In 2012, Sava and Amy and their young son, Philip, took a year off and moved to their second home in the U.S. Virgin Islands, just enjoying life in the tropics. When they got back to D.C. in 2013, Sava continued to enjoy the fruits of his labors by collecting some of the finer things in life. They had a very expensive wine collection, a renowned art collection. Well, we have a very nice beer collection. <laughs> well, Sava loved collecting automobiles, too. That's mm-hmm. when you know that you're doing very well, when you collect automobiles. And some of these were like race cars. Well, it depends. <laughs> it depends on, uh, on what kind of car and or where are they parked. Are they in a garage or are they in your front yard? Well, and Sava was really into martial arts. He had a samurai sword collection in his home and was scheduled to open up his own dojo. Savado Karate. Like many wealthy women, Amy took on a pet cause that was near and dear to her heart. After her daughter suffered concussions on the sports playing fields, she became something of an expert in concussions and became a major fundraiser 
for the National Children's Medical Center's Concussion Education Project. Yeah, it's a very wealthy family, very successful family. We know the conclusion of the fire, but let's start with the details of the day before the fire. Yes, this was Wednesday, May 13th. Uh, Sava went to check out the process at the new dojo he was planning to open. Yeah. Amy and little Philip, 10 years old, were both at home. They have two housekeepers, one who worked for the family for like 20 years. This is Nellie Gutierrez. She was not at the home that day. She was working at the new dojo, cleaning and preparing for the grand opening the following weekend. Housekeeper Vera Figueroa, who worked for the family for about five years, was at the house. When either Vera or Nellie worked at the home, their routine was to finish up and leave for the day around 3 or 3.30 in the afternoon. Amy took Philip to a 9.30 a.m. doctor's appointment. Amy's car entered the parking garage at Chevy Chase Center at 9.09 a.m. There is video footage of Amy and Philip near the doctor's office. Amy is wearing white pants and a blue top. Her Range Rover left the parking garage at 11.08 a.m. At 3.14 p.m., the director of reservations at a local doggy daycare place called the Savopolis family regarding an upcoming Memorial Day weekend appointment for the family's dogs, Bear and Ginger. What she said was unusual was she called the house phone as always, but got the indication that the phone had been disconnected. Since the Savopolises were regular customers, they had Amy's cell phone. She said she called the number at 4.20 p.m. and left a voicemail. Amy called back twice, once right after the voicemail, but there was no sound on the call, and it quickly disconnected. Then Amy called back about 10 to 15 minutes later, so likely around 4.40 p.m. Amy said she would be keeping the appointment for the dogs. Later, it is said that Amy didn't sound like herself. She sounded tired, groggy, or under the weather and she rushed through the call when she would normally be very friendly and chatty. Yeah, she sounded like the captain. A friend of Amy's told police that she saw Amy walking in their neighborhood, heading toward her home around 3.25 p.m. Now, Amy was a coffee lover, and it's believed that based on her friend's sighting of her, that she went on a Starbucks run around that time. Yes. But we are noting here that she was not in the house at 3.25 PM. Right. According to Nelly Gutierrez, who was with Sava at the dojo, Amy called Sava at 5.30 p.m. and asked that he come home to stay with Philip because she had plans. About a half an hour later, Sava packed up and left the dojo for home. He asked Nelly to close up for him once she was finished. He didn't act in any way like this was an emergency. At some point that evening, Sava made a call to the family's home security company. The Savopolis, they had a new system installed six months earlier that included surveillance cameras outside the home and glass break sensors in the kitchen. This system sent the surveillance footage and records of alerts directly to a computer that was stored in a utility room on the third floor of the home. So this security footage was not live monitored but it was stored for review if an alert was sent. Right. Although the system would, of course, alert the family if the alarm was set and was triggered. 
But this system was brand new and it had some bugs that they were trying to work out. And because of this, the system was not fully activated. And according to the vice president of the security company, on the 13th, the system was not armed. Yeah, Sava's going to make a phone call about 8 p.m. to Debbie Masser, somebody that works for him. This call comes from his cell phone. He wanted her to figure out a way to get him cash for a construction equipment auction that was being held the next day. This was actually common for Sava. He would he would go and buy machinery at a discount at these right, auctions. Right. So Sava wanted thirty five to fifty thousand dollars in cash. Quite the, a bit of cold hard cash. Well, the request for cash was actually the unusual part of the request, as he normally would just get a cashier's check. So Debbie Wait, hold on. I just want to go over this again. So at the auction, you could use a check. You don't have to use cash. And that was normal protocol. Right. So so he's he's not normally calling her saying, I want 40, 50 grand in cash. Right. So Debbie and Ted Chase made arrangements for Sava to electronically draft and sign a check that Ted would then collect at the bank the following morning. Debbie said Sava sounded totally normal on this phone call. Sometime around 8 p.m., Sava called Jordan Wallace. This is his driver and general assistant and left a voicemail. Sava's message told Jordan there was a change of plans for the next day and instructed Jordan to meet Ted Chase at the American Iron Works office first thing the next morning to pick up a package. In his message, Sava almost sounded jovial. And at 8.30 p.m., Jordan texts Sava, I'll call you when I get the package. And around 9 p.m., Amy is going to order Domino's pizza? Yeah. She ordered two pizzas and a soda. Amy paid over the phone with a credit card and said that she was nursing a sick child and that the delivery man was to place the pizzas on the front stoop. When the delivery driver got to the house, they say all the lights were off except for the one over the front door, and the house was silent. Very strange. He rang the doorbell, left the pizzas, and then drove off. Sava Savopoulos left a voicemail that evening for the regular housekeeper, Nellie. His voicemail said, it's Sava. I hope you get this message. Amy is in bed sick tonight, and she was sick this afternoon. And Vera offered to stay and help her out. So she's going to stay the night here. He went on to explain that Vera's phone was dead, and they didn't have a compatible charger for it. You can hear part of this voicemail online. Sava's voice sounds totally normal on this call. Nellie didn't listen to this voicemail immediately. I point that out because she might have questioned it as she heard earlier from Sava that Amy had plans that night, which didn't mesh with what she was being told now of Amy being ill. Yeah, and just going back to the cash, getting ordering the cash the, that night and telling people to get it in the morning to go to the bank and ask for 40 to 50 grand in cash is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And the, and sometimes banks don't have that cash on hand because they don't they can deal with somebody coming in and robbing a teller and getting a couple thousand bucks, but they don't carry that much cash on them anymore cuz they're afraid of takeovers. Mm-hmm. Well, and remember we mentioned that at some point on that evening Sava got in contact with his security company 
asking questions about the security camera footage and so on. Well, later that evening, this was after 11 p.m., the security company text Sava back stating, I believe your outdoor surveillance camera records are motion. You know, he was asking how the cameras were activated. So he, he was in contact with this security company during this time. Now that leads us to Thursday, May 14th at 7, 11 AM Sava called Jordan, his assistant, and the two spoke just going back over the plan for the package pickups and delivery. At an unknown time on the morning of the 14th, Saba again spoke with Eric. He's from the home security company, trying to get a handle on how his system stored recordings. Now, Eric later said that these phone calls were strange because he had already gone over with Saba how the system worked. At approximately 9 a.m., the sprinkler company showed up at the Savopolis home. The sprinkler guy knocked on the door, but when no one answered, he went on to his next appointment. At 9.09 a.m., Amy called to cancel the sprinkler maintenance appointment because her son, she said, got injured and she had to go to the hospital. Sometime early this morning, it's not clear when, Debbie Masser again talked to Sava. He told her to draw up the check for $40,000 and that Ted would collect the cash and give it to Jordan, his assistant, and Jordan would deliver it to him. Once the check was drafted and printed, Debbie sent Saba an email confirming that it was ready. Sometime between 8 and 9 a.m. on the morning of the 14th, Saba called his business banking specialist at Bank of America. Saba's company, American Ironworks, was one of their top clients. So this person was very familiar with his voice and recognized it right away. Sava told them of this unusual request for $40,000 in cash. Right. So they had to find a bank branch that had that much cash on hand where Ted Chase could cash the company check. Yeah. And sometimes they wouldn't do this for certain clients, but you're talking about, he is a huge client. Yes. Yeah. And somebody that they want to keep happy. Right. So they locate a branch that's able to fill the request and called Sava back. And at this point, he seemed rushed on the rushed on the phone. And he told her that his CFO, Ted Chase, would go pick up the money using a stamp of Sava's signature. Nellie Gutierrez tried to call her friend Vera at 830 a.m. and then again at 846 a.m. But her calls went straight to voicemail. Now, meanwhile, around 930 on the morning of the 14th, Vera's husband, Bernardo, showed up at the house on Woodland Drive. It was not only unusual, but unheard of for Vera to stay over with the family. And further, Nellie never listened to the voicemail from Saba explaining that Vera was staying over. So as far as Bernardo was concerned, his wife just never came home the night before. He had no success reaching her on her phone. It continually went straight to voicemail, even though he had called her nine times between the previous night and Thursday morning. He knocked on the door, and even though no one answered, he said that he got like a really strange feeling that someone was standing on the other side of that door. He thought he heard a noise like a chair scraping the floor, 
He started to walk toward a window to look in when his phone rang, and it was Sava calling. Mm. Sava apologized for not calling him earlier. He told him that Amy was ill, and Vera went with her to the hospital. In his car, meanwhile, Vera's daughter, Claudia, was waiting. And while she killed time, she took a picture of the family's blue Porsche parked in the driveway. And she sent it to her boyfriend who was into cars. So we know that the Porsche was at the home around 9.30 a.m. Right. Around 9.40 a.m., Jordan Wallace and Ted Chase went to the Bank of America in Kenilworth. Chase and the bank manager signed some paperwork while Jordan hung in the background. The bank manager handed Chase $40,000 in $100 bills. Once in the parking lot, Chase handed the cash over to Jordan, who placed the bills in a red backpack. Then the two men went their separate ways. Yeah, Jordan is actually going to take a picture of the bag of cash opened, and then he sends it to his girlfriend. Yeah, and he he later would delete these texts. Now, Jordan drove to 3201 Woodland Drive. Right. At 9.51 a.m., he called Sava's cell and informed him that he had the package. He had the cash. Sava said, great, call me when you're 10 minutes away, and I'll give you instructions. At 9.56 a.m., Amy texted her housekeeper, Nellie, telling her not to come to the house that day. At 10.15 a.m., Jordan called Sava again to tell him he was approaching the home. Sava told Jordan that he would be on a conference call and not to knock. He instructed Jordan to enter the garage, which would be left open for him, and place the money on the driver's seat of the red sports car that was parked inside the garage. He then was to leave, and Saba would be right behind him, per his words. Jordan found that the right side garage bay was opened as promised, and he put the money in a manila envelope, placed it on the driver's seat, exited the garage, closed the door, and left. He sent Saba a text around 10.26 a.m. that said, Package delivered. No response ever came. This was the last communication anyone had with the family. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, 
language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch. Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. 
Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Captain. Well, the next thing that we know, the house was in flames. A contractor who was parked on the street saw the flames and pounded on the front door and said that he could hear dogs barking and the smoke alarm going off. He called 911. Jordan Wallace, the assistant, received a phone call from an American Iron Works employee notifying him that the house was on fire. He was told to head over to the house pronto. Then Debbie received a call from a reporter for the Washington Post asking her if she could confirm that four people were dead. Now, poor Debbie did not know what was going on at this time, and she had just spoke to Sava that morning. Jordan Wallace then called her distraught, saying the house was burned and he wasn't being allowed inside. Now, we've already discussed the horrific murder scene that the fire department discovered when they busted into the home. But moving on to the investigation and some further things that were found, the furniture in the room that Philip was found in was completely incinerated. This indicating that the fire was ignited with some type of accelerant. It's believed that the bed was where the fire started. A special accelerant canine was brought into the scene and indicated that an accelerant was present on the stairs and in the two bedrooms upstairs where the victims were found. These bedrooms were those of the two daughters who were away at school. Matches were discovered at the top of the stairs. Speaking of dogs, dog lovers will be happy to hear that the family's dogs were discovered by firefighters unharmed. After autopsies on all four victims, the medical examiner's report indicated as follows. This according to the initial arrest affidavit filed by detectives. The three adults had been killed by blunt force and sharp force trauma. They were beaten and stabbed to death. Specifically, Sava had been stabbed through the back of the neck. Philip's cause of death was thermal and sharp force injuries. Further, there was evidence that all three adults had been restrained. Adhesive tape residue was found on Amy's wrist and ankles and on Vera's wrist. It was believed that Saba's wrists and ankles were bound with something with an edge, like a zip tie. Saba and Amy were both beaten with a baseball bat and stabbed. And Saba also showed signs of strangulation. Philip likely was stabbed with a sword. Probably one of his father's kept as part of his martial arts collection. Amy's right middle finger was bruised. Injuries consistent with her attacker 
trying to pull a ring off. It was later speculated by authorities. Vera had been stabbed in the neck, but had the fewest injuries. The medical examiner concluded that she had also been strangled and that she had a history of heart disease and probably suffered a heart attack during the incident. Now, from the get-go, this case was a big deal in D.C. Within hours of the fire, the mayor and police chief were both at the house. The Metropolitan Police Department's homicide unit was called in to start their investigation, assisted by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Jeffrey Owens was the lead detective from the Metropolitan PD assigned to the case. Investigators began the process of combing through the house to try to determine who could have done this and sorting through the fire debris for evidence. Here are some of the more significant things that they discovered. The phone lines to the house visible coming out of the utility boxes outside of one of the back doors of the home were cleanly severed. There was evidence of a struggle in the main entry foyer. You talked about Amy getting Starbucks. They have a picture of her Starbucks. It's placed on a sideboard in the entry hallway. Her Louis Vuitton handbag was on a chair. A red wheelie briefcase was on its back with papers spilling out of it. This belonged to Saba. A book bag belonging to Philip was spilled open and its contents was like folders, notebooks, and papers were scattered about. A letter opener was near the front door. The computer drive that stored the security system footage was gone. Right. The casing remained, but the important stuff was taken, and the seven blue wires that powered it were cut. Amy and Saba's iPhones were gone. Investigators subpoenaed their cell phone records and those of the people they were known to have been in contact with in order to reconstruct what had happened as far as phone activity goes. A bloody baseball bat was recovered in the room where the three adults were found. The blood was both Amy's and Sava's. A second bloody bat was found downstairs. A bloody plastic bag and a large amount of blood were found in the room where the adults were. Also in the room, investigators discovered a bloody shoe print and the two pizza boxes delivered by Domino's the night before. Right. Some of the pizza was gone, consumed, but there was one partial chewed piece of crust still left in one of the boxes. A large, sharp samurai sword was recovered. Traces of Philip's blood were found on it. Now, there was a noticeable lack of foreign fingerprints or DNA found in the home. So whoever had done this, they did it wearing gloves. They did find two foreign hairs, and they're going to send those off for testing. Duct tape was found sealing shut the doggy door that led from the kitchen to the basement, and one small piece of duct tape was found in the driveway. None of the duct tape na- matched any of the rolls found inside the home. Mm-hmm. A kitchen knife was found propping open a basement window. This is the kind of window that tilts open and closed. Yeah, and the window well is going to be covered by a grate. It kind of reminds me, just from hearing about it, very similar to the John Bonet Ramsey case where you have the window well, it's covered by that grate. You have to open that up to get to the window. Now, a Frisbee and a screwdriver were also propping up other windows in the basement. It's unclear why these windows were propped open in this manner. But one key piece of evidence is something that was missing from the house. So investigators quickly noted that the blue Porsche, primarily driven by Amy, you remember the vehicle that was photographed by Vera's daughter, was missing. 
but it turned up quickly. It w- and they found it engulfed in flames. This was around 5.30 p.m. on the 14th mm-hmm. in a church parking lot in New Carrollton. Inside the car, they found a neon green construction vest. On the vest was a hair that was sent for testing. As law enforcement located witnesses and surveillance video, a couple of additional things came to light. One, a witness reported seeing the Porsche around 1.30 p.m. on the day of the fire which was being driven erratically by a short-haired African-American male wearing a neon green vest. This sighting was on New York Avenue in Northeast D.C., heading out of town toward Maryland in the direction of where the Porsche was eventually found. Second, surveillance footage from the church parking lot camera showed an African-American male wearing a dark hoodie and jeans and carrying a large construction-type bucket walking in the church parking lot. So they have two hairs from the house. They have the hair from the car. We know that there was an accelerant used in the house. The car was burning, so we're. I'm assuming there's an accelerant there. Mm-hmm. And those are probably going to be tested to match those. So this is, you know, a, a wealthy family, powerful in the community. So this is going to be a very thorough investigation yeah massive investigation and they want to talk to investigators want to talk to and interview everyone that they could possibly think of well and with the delivery of the money we have an idea of what the motive could be or the wealth of the family the power of the family we have an idea of what the motive could be and but that you have to cast a very wide net Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people that are motivated by money Well, going off of that, they are going to very quickly come to the conclusion that the family and Vera were the victims of a home invasion extortion plot and held hostage for up to about 22 hours. Investigators actually believe that whoever done this was likely familiar with the family's routines and must have been watching the house at least that day or possibly previous days leading up to it. Right. Investigators thought that the attack started once Amy left to walk to Starbucks and Vera and Philip were home alone. Now, the question here becomes, no one knows whether the perp knew that Philip, who would normally be at school, was actually in the home. Investigators knew that the phone lines were cut by the time the doggy daycare center had called at 315. And also that Amy was seen alive and well walking back toward her home at 325 after Starbucks. They knew that Jordan delivered $40,000 to the home on Thursday and that the money was gone. It was impossible to determine whether any other money was missing. One thing investigators found was a file cabinet drawer in the office containing four handguns and $13,000 in cash. Now, they could only speculate that Saba hadn't given given the money to the perp because it would draw attention to these guns located in the same spot. This looked like a well-planned targeted plot to hold a family hostage for ransom. Right. Clearly Saba had been forced to request the cash from his CFO. One thing that police found interesting, the home was full of expensive jewelry and artwork and these items were untouched. Whoever did this was after one thing cash. Right. Was that the only motive? If that were the case, why kill the family after the money was delivered? 
So investigators did not have a lot to go on. There were no fingerprints on the baseball bat or anything else that it seemed that the perp might have touched. Right, like you said, probably used gloves. Yeah, and the perpetrator removed the security system, and he took with him anything used to bind the victims. Well, this is a big house, and there's multiple victims, so then you start questioning, is it just one perpetrator or multiple perpetrators? Right. Now, he did leave behind the duct tape on the doggy door and one piece of duct tape that was reportedly found in the driveway, but they didn't have any prints on them. So cops did have one thing, one very important thing. The pizza crust found in the box of leftover pepperoni pizza. There was a partially consumed piece, but leaving behind the crust. It could have been one of the family or Vera, of course. Right. Or it could have been left by a perpetrator. Well, and that's going to give us possible DNA, but also possible bite impressions. Yeah, the chewed part of the crust was carefully swabbed before... The evidence was even bagged and tagged and delivered to the ATF forensic lab for expedited testing. When the lab ran the swab, they got a complete single source male DNA profile. Law enforcement ran that profile through CODIS and boom, they got a direct hit. Darren Dillon Went. Date of birth, November 27th, 1980. The chances that this DNA did not belong to him were one in 10 quintillion. Mm. As for the hair found on the vest in the burned out Porsche, there were two DNA contributors. One was Savas and one was Darren Went. Darren Went was also found to be the contributor of DNA found on the handle of the knife that was propping open the basement window. Now it's believed that Darren Went, whoever he was, had taken the money and evidence from the home and drove off in Amy's Porsche, which he had then torched in the parking lot where it was found. The church, it turned out, was just a few hundred yards from the apartment that Darren Wentz's sister, Samantha, lived in in Prince George's County, Maryland, which Wentz had listed as his home address and where he had actually lived for a brief period of time. Police pulled out all the stops in the search for this man. They found evidence that he also torched a minivan that he owned. Hashtag ban the van. Yeah, so who is this Darren Went? right? That's uh, what we want to know. Other than a giant piece of shit. Well, he's a man that was recently kicked out of his mother's apartment, this after losing it in an argument over some dirty dishes and threatening everyone in the apartment, including his brother, Stefan, who also lived there. Went was taken in by his father and stepmother, Pamela, Uh Although this is not a long-term solution, he had been told he needed to be out by the end of the month. Pamela told investigators and testified at trial that that every day was pretty much the same. Went would get up and he would go look for work at 5 a.m., leaving the home. Right. He would come home at 10 a.m., eat, go to the gym, and then he would spend the rest of the day on his phone. Secret Service analysts poured over his phone and social media history. Went was found to have been active on social media over 70 times a day between Facebook posts, Facebook instant messages, and Facebook voice messaging in the months leading up to the murders. But Went went completely inactive online for a 36-hour period starting at 6 a.m. on May 13th continuing until 5.59 p.m. on the 14th. 
Right. It was during the time of the murders and the fire. Pamela later testified that he left the house on the 13th and never came home that night, which was very concerning to her and his father since he never stayed out. Wentz's sister and girlfriend both tried to contact him repeatedly during this time period with no response. He reappeared at 6 p.m. on the 14th driving his blue minivan and seemed stressed out but did not say where he had been. His social media blackout ended with a brief puzzling post at 7.33 p.m. that evening, just five letters, B-T-D-U-Z. He mm. called his girlfriend. Wait, say those again. B-T. B-T-D-U-Z. Yeah, that's, that's very strange. Any, any clue on what that means? Maybe it's just a butt dial or a butt text? Or... I, I think that this was... This was... um intended for whatever reason it could have been some type of typo i'm very i'm kind of clueless on what this means right. or what it could mean and you've studied um computer forensics so you figured i figured you'd know what this means that's right um after this he does call his girlfriend and he went out there's security footage of him and his brother daryl at a walmart at 10:24 p.m where went paid for purchases in $100 bills. Then they left, but went later returned at 11:28 PM for more purchases. What did they buy? Do we know? I think it was probably a bunch of insignificant items because I couldn't find a list of what was purchased. It could have just been somebody out on a bit of a spending spree is what, what I'm guessing. Pamela said that went stayed home on the 15th and then disappeared late that evening. This time, the blue minivan that he owned did not come home with him on the 15th, on the night of the 15th. The Kenilworth Fire Department found it in flames after midnight on May 16th and determined that it was arson. Now, police didn't put together that this vehicle belonged to Wint until May 20th. This is a week after the home invasion. Yeah. Sometime after the 17th, now we got to keep in mind here that meanwhile, while all this movement is going on by, by Wint, police have figured out who they're looking for Yeah, because of the DNA testing. So sometime after the 17th, Darren Wint left for New York to visit his girlfriend, Vanessa. Pamela knew that he was there because he left her a phone number where he could be reached. He was anxious to hear whether he was going to get his green card, which had expired, and he was attempting to renew. So he wasn't even legally here. While in Brooklyn, he waved around $100 bills and told Vanessa that he had won $2,000 in the lottery and sold his van for cash. Bullshit. He treated her to shopping, meals, and even gave her $1,500 in cash and bought her a new iPhone. Around this time, he also paid $1,100 to an immigration attorney. This was paid in cash. On the night of May 20th, Wint and Vanessa were lying in bed in her apartment when Wint's wanted photo, which was an old mugshot, popped up on the screen. Why they're in bed? Yes. She's trying to cuddle on him. On the TV screen. On his dirty ass, and she's trying to cuddle on him, and the, his ugly face pops up on the screen. Well, when they see this, they quickly left her apartment and they went to a hotel, uh, this so they could not be found. 
Right. Now, working with New York police, D.C. authorities tracked Went to Brooklyn and arrived at Vanessa's apartment. They just missed him. Eventually, Went called his father. A D.C. homicide detective was at Went's father's home at that very moment and actually got on the phone with Went. He informed Went that there was a warrant out for his arrest, and Went asked what for. The detective replied, murder. Well, I just think that he's lying in bed with this girlfriend, quote-unquote, and she has to be such a scumbag that she ends up going to a hotel with him. Like, oh, well, let's... Uh, you're wanted for something, but hey, let's go to the hotel and hang out. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Well, Went left Brooklyn late on Wednesday, May 20th, or early on the 21st. This this is not really clear. We don't have an exact time here. Uh, but we do know that he paid a private company $900 in cash to drive him back to Maryland. He left behind one of his phones, which police had used to locate him in New York. This was left behind in possession with his girlfriend, Vanessa. She told police that she believed Went planned to turn himself in. Once he arrived back in Maryland, police were able to trace Went to a Howard Johnson Express Inn located at College Park. The Capital Area Regional Fugitive Task Force staked out the parking lot and watched Went and some others leave the hotel around 11 p.m. Now, Went was carrying a bag and got into a 2012 Chevy Cruze which left the hotel accompanied by a box truck. 20 undercover vehicles pursued the two vehicles as they drove into D.C. Well, and at some point, the U.S. Marshals are actually going to be able to get in between both of the vehicles, causing them to stop, and they're actually going to be able to make the arrest then? Yes, they took Went and two other men, one of whom was his brother, Daryl, who was on the phone with detectives at the time, he warned the other car's passengers that they were about to be pulled over. Went's cousin George, who owned the box truck, and two women who were with Went in the Chevy Cruze, they took all these people into custody without incident. In the car in which Went was a passenger, the bag Went was carrying was found to contain money orders worth $10,000. One of the women in the car, her name is Chelsea, who was there to hang out with the guys and buy pot from Daryl, whom she knew only by his pot dealer name, Goo, told police that Goo had directed the purchase of the money orders and had given Chelsea money to buy them. In the truck, authorities saw in plain view $7,381 in cash, mostly in $100 bills and more money orders for $13,300. Now, I want to point something out here, Captain, because I do believe this is important, and we will see why later, okay? The arrest warrant issued for Darren Went in Uh May of 2015, it specifically states that the officer submitting the affidavit in support for arrest believes that Mr. Went and others held the Savopolis family captive. And then we have public statements made by authorities investigating the case indicating that the family was targeted, but police did not believe that Went was solely responsible for the slaughter of the family and for their housekeeper, Vera. Police, including the chief, said repeatedly that the elaborate crime probably required the presence and assistance of more than one person and that there were possibly other suspects. 
yet they only arrested one that they charged with murder. None of the other people in the Chevy Cruze or the box truck were arrested for murder. So, Darren, who is this ball puffer? Darren Wint was 34 years old at the time of this arrest. He was born in Guyana. Um, he is five foot eight inches tall, 155 pounds. He has six siblings, three brothers and three sisters. He moved to the United States in 2000 when he was nearly 20 years old, and he became a permanent resident after obtaining his green card, which was up for renewal in 2015. In the U.S., Went also had two half-brothers. This is Daryl and Stefan. Stefan and Went shared a mother. Daryl and Went shared a father. Does that make sense? Yes. So Went tried to be a Marine for a while, but that didn't really pan out, and neither did PG County Community College. Went found himself bouncing from job to job, but he was trained as a welder, so he did manage to find a job from May of 2003 to April of 2005. This was at American Ironworks. Sava Savopoulos was his boss at one time. So, you know, but you have to keep in mind, Sava is the CEO of this company. And Went would have been a welder. It's very likely that they may have never have known each other. Went was fired from American Ironworks in 2005. And Sava had apparently refused to take him back despite two follow-up attempts by Went to get his job back. One of Went's cousins also worked at American Ironworks and was fired in 2005 as well. This cousin had then threatened to burn the place down. American Ironworks went on to obtain a restraining order barring this person from the premises. Right. Co-workers who remembered Went from American Ironworks told investigators that Went hadn't gotten along with anyone that he worked with. Well, he argues with everybody, argued with his family about dirty dishes. Went's paperwork indicates that he was terminated for missing work. Went went on to work just sporadically after that. Well, that's great. You know, hey, I, I don't show up for work, and I want you to take me back. Please take me back. I want to come back to work. But you didn't show up to work. Oh, please take me back. Ridiculous. But not only that, it sounds like he was like impossible to get along with right, when saying. he did show up. And then when he shows up, everybody's going, hey, look, the asshole showed up. Well, the, yeah. yeah, we would have rather you not show up. Yeah, it wasn't like he's going, hey, take me back. And then they're going, hey, when he shows up, he's a hard worker. All his coworkers like working with him. It's like he doesn't show up. And when he does show up, yeah, he's a douchebag. So Wint actually had a somewhat long and somewhat violent criminal history. So this is why his DNA was registered in CODIS and came up right away when law enforcement ran his DNA in the database after the murders, the stuff that was found on the crust. In 2009, he was convicted in New York of assaulting a girlfriend. In 2010, he pled guilty to malicious destruction of property after he threatened to kill a woman and her infant, breaking into her apartment, stealing a TV, and vandalizing her car. He told the woman that he was, quote, good with a knife, and he was not afraid of police. He was sentenced to 60 days plus probation. Seems like a little bit of a light sentence. Yeah, you think? 
Also in 2010, he was arrested for sitting on a dumpster while holding a two-foot-long machete and a BB gun, this at a gas station. This was pled down to possession of an open container of alcohol. I think the way that this story goes is he was drunk and being, you can't say being violent, but being very threatening to people in the area as he sat on this dumpster refusing to leave. Went also had four previous arrests from New York State, including multiple cases of assault, harassment, and violating an order of protection. Records in Maryland show that in the mid-2000s, he punched a housemate over loud music and threatened to drop a woman over a parking spot. That's, this, is a, this, is a, this is a violent, aggressive guy. Uh, this guy's an awful piece of shit. You get out of the car. Hey, that's my parking spot. I'll drop you. Well, and then in uh, March, so this is March 23rd, 2015, the same year as the murders, right? Went was arrested in D.C. for receiving stolen property. He was pulled over in a blue minivan that wasn't registered. At the time of that arrest, he provided a false name to police, and he used the name of one of his half-brothers, Stefan Went. Can't even just make up a name. You have to use one of your brother's names. That's awful. So it's easy to see a couple of items that are important to this case. One, he had a lengthy record, and that's why his DNA was already listed and registered with CODIS. That's how they made the match when they found his DNA at the crime scene of the quadruple homicide. Right. The other thing that we should point out here, too, is that given his arrest record, they weren't going to renew his green card. Join us back here in the garage tomorrow for more of the DC Mansion murders. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.